0: Hey, welcome to the Syracuse Vineyard Podcast. Thanks for taking some time to listen in with us. If you like what you're hearing and would like to know more about the church, you can go to our website at vineyardny.org or follow us on social media at VineyardNY on YouTube, VineyardNY Syracuse on Instagram, and VineyardNY-Syracuse on Facebook. And now we're going to listen in on this week's message. All right. Good morning. Wow. I'm the start, I guess. Uh, I am a little bit kind of scatterbrained. Addison, I see you back there. Addie, if you can just go into the youth room and make sure there aren't any youth in there if you're available to do that. Um, I don't want the youth in there. Let's have them in here. All right, I am Q, and I function as the children's pastor as well as the youth pastor. Um, and so in that role, I get to have a good time with all of the kiddos and the, and the teenagers and everyone, uh, but every so often... They throw me in here with you old folks, yeah. And they give me a challenge, they give me a challenge. They say, bring some youthful energy, you know, to you guys. And it's hard, it's the hardest part of my job. But I'm gonna have your help today because one of the things that I've learned when I'm trying to have a good time in the youth room youth room, or the kids wing is that if we play a game and we get a lot of participation, we end up having a better time and it makes our learning a little bit easier right? It's like a little bit of sugar with some medicine, okay? So I'm going to ask you guys to participate a number of times, um, and I'm even going to start right at the beginning uh, by playing a little game, a game that is not going to require you to leave your seats, and it's not a very complicated game. You will learn it very quickly, but I'm asking you to participate. I'm looking for 100% participation, okay? Yes, yes. You guys can't be asleep yet. We just started. Okay. So the game is true or false. I'm going to make a statement. And then I'm going to give you some criteria, maybe even give you a countdown. And you, you know respond, uh, give your vote based on whether you think the statement is true or false. OK? So I'm going to make the statement, don't clap if you think it's true, and don't yell out true. Students, be better than my last class. OK? Don't yell out true. Don't clap. Just I'm going to count you in, and then you give me your vote. I got one rule don't abstain. I'm looking for participation. So here's the first statement. Until 1956, French children attending school were served wine on their lunch breaks. Now, if you think this is true after I count to three, I just want you to say cheers. Until 1956, French children attending school were served wine on their lunch breaks. One, two, three. Cheers, cheers is what we were looking for. But if you think it's false, I want you to say no, but I want you to say it in French. So that's gonna be known. One, two, three, known. I got a few knowns. Guys, it's gonna get easier, it's gonna get easier. So, if you said cheers, you were correct, cheers to you. And guess what? It's actually even worse than you think, okay? In 1956, what the the good, loving people in France decided was that you had to be at least 14 years old to get wine at school. They continued to give those 14 and over wine until 1981. Yeah, France, great place to live. Here's the next statement. I think I'm going to dial it back a little bit and simplify it a little bit easier. Here we go. You're just going to make some noise if you think it's true. And then I'm going to give those who think it's false an option to make some noise. That way we kind of get a vote. Here's the statement, though. In 2001, a 17-year-old in China sold his kidney on the black market to get money for an iPhone. Yeah. Think about it. It's 2001. He's 17. He wants an iPhone. Would he give up his kidney? If you think it's true, make some noise. All right. Now, those of you with a little more faith in the next generation, if you think it's true, make some noise. Or false. Thank you. If you think it's false, make some noise. Okay. All right. Um, you guys have misplaced faith in the decision-making of 17-year-olds. That's not a safe place to be in, okay? Guys, they would sell their kidney for an iPhone. Yeah, it's happened before. There's at least one case where it's happened, so they're all sub- suspect now. Okay. Yeah. When your kids home, come home from school, check their bodies. <laughs> All right. Last one. Last one. And you guys are doing great. I asked for 100% participation. I think we're, we're probably right on top of it. Last one. Um, 100% particip- participation. Here's the statement. Did a pastor secretly pose as a homeless man on a Sunday morning to test his congregation on their compassion? Did a pastor secretly pose as a homeless man on Sunday morning to test his congregation's uh, compassion? Here's how we're going to do the vote, though. If you think it's true, I'm going to count to three, and then I just want you to ask someone around you, hey, can you spare a dollar? All right. If you think a pastor dressed up like a homeless man, then when I count to three, you ask somebody around you, can you spare a dollar? One, two, three. Yes. Yes. Yeah. You never know. You didn't know. You didn't know it. But you were just one bad decision away from panhandling. Yeah. Now, if you think no, a pastor wouldn't go that far, um, then after I count to three, I just want you to say, "Get a job." One, two, three. There's always one. There's always one. And shame on you. Shame on you. Guys, show compassion. You don't say get a job. Show compassion. We're better than that. This photo here is from 2011. Uh, That was the church I was attending at the time, and that was our pastor. He dressed up like a homeless man to test our compassion, and uh, he then proceeded to reprimand us for our lack of compassion. Uh, Yeah, but we learned. I learned. We learned something. I didn't know. But pastors do things like that, guys. Pastors try to think of creative ways to try to make a point. Sometimes they'll go to extremes and wear costumes. Other times, it's just, it's a simpler thing. It's just, let's play a game of true and false. But the point that I'm trying to make today is that it can be challenging to discern whether something is true or false. And I feel like today, Under the context of relationship goals, I feel like we're in a society today where there are a lot of overnight relationship gurus who are trying to give us rules and ways to be successful in our relationships. And oftentimes, I'm convinced um, that in a game of true or false, what they're saying is false. And so um, with this in mind, and to close our series on relationship goals. I just want to highlight uh, four or five principles that you might see on your timeline through tweets or stories or reels or whatever the next new thing is that's coming, that some fake guru is telling you in order for you to be successful in your relationships, I want to highlight some things that they might say, but God never said that. And so you guys were like 100% in with your participation. I I got a little bit of faith in you. So I'm gonna add another element here. True and false is done, but this time we're gonna do a little bit of like finish the statement. So I'm gonna say, but God, and then you're gonna say, never said that. So I'm gonna say, but God. This is gonna be fun, this is gonna be fun. All right, I'm gonna have four of them, but God. All right, that one didn't count. So four after this next one, but God. This is fun, this is fun. All right, here we go. The first one is, oh, I'm sorry, before we get to the first one. One of the reasons why I think this is important, and I also want to highlight this fact, God warned us in the Bible that we would live in a time like this. He warned us that there would come a time uh, where we were going to be forced with these type of uh, decisions, who to believe, uh, the world or him. And so uh, the context for that is going to be Colossians 2 and 8, when Paul wrote, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. So that's our, that's our challenge right there. Are, are the things that we believe, the philosophies and the ways that we see the world, are, are they from the world or are they from Christ? So I want to give you this first uh, relationship goal that you might hear on your timeline. It says this, The world says that our relationships should be transactional, but God, there's different ways that this gets presented. A guest on the Joe Rogan podcast said, you will never in life meet a hater doing better than you. And so at face value, this actually looks like an attack on haters. Like if you're overly critical of someone, then you must be doing worse than that person. Seems like what he's saying. But really this speaks to the relationship goal of surrounding yourself with people doing better than you. Another way that you see, you hear this is there's a saying, it says, um, eagles never hang out with chickens. You might've heard that one before. And it's, super, super rude, um, and it's not correct. The idea behind it is that eagles are somehow better than chickens, and they're not, all right? I've never tasted an eagle, but I can tell you a chicken is much more delicious, and it's my preference, okay? So not only is it just a rude thing to say, but it's not even accurate. The correct statement would be chickens never hang out with eagles, but What's the philosophy behind this? It's the same philosophy of the Joe Rogan hosts. Relationships are transactional, and people who are more successful can somehow help you advance. And don't be taken captive by this philosophy and empty deceit. Um, In exchange for my time and my presence, you have to be giving me something. That's the elemental spirits of the world, but that's not Christ. I actually fell victim to this way of thinking heavily when I was in my early 20s. At that time, I was an avid reader, a humanist, and my beliefs aligned mostly with uh, the French enlightenment or European enlightenment. And so for me, at that time, if you were in my circle, you had to be really, really smart. And if I didn't think you were really smart, I didn't think you had anything to offer me. Now, what's bizarre about that is that we now know that those same authors who were influencing me fed wine to their children until 1981. So it makes me kind of question the validity of their philosophies. Like, um, but it wasn't that fact that caused me to stop thinking and looking at the world that way. Um, it was actually my, my good, good friend at the time, Mark Gaskins. Now, Mark was the type of person, you might be this type of person or know someone like it, Mark was the type of person who talked to everyone. And it seemed like he knew everyone. And it seemed like we could never leave a place because he was always talking. And one day after Mark went on another one of his, like, talking marathons, uh, it kind of slipped out. And I said, Mark, why do you waste your time talking to everyone? Like, these people you're talking to, they can't teach you anything. They can't help you in any way. And yet you've given them all your time and attention. Why? And I don't remember what he said to me because this was over 20 years ago. But I do remember after he said what he said, I remember having this, like, epiphany. And I remember thinking, wow, you should respect everyone. And that is God's way. You should respect everyone. In Romans 13 and 7, God said, give honor to who honor is due. Give respect to who respect is due. But in the very next verse, Romans 13, 8, he defines and describes God's way of relating with people. He says, owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. And I like this because it makes it very, very clear that I don't love people or treat people a certain way based on my criteria or based on how they can advance me or what I can get out of it. No, the the statement is a blanket statement. Love your neighbor. And I get it. I get it that we don't always agree. I get it that there are some things that are just different about us. But let's look at some of the things that we have in common. We're all potential whosoevers made in the image of God and with access to God's wonderful forgiveness. And we're all people who Jesus died on the cross for. And I believe that God wants us, God wants to use us to reconcile people to him through our love. And so that's the task. The task is not I am relating with people because of what I can get. The task is I'm relating with people because of what I can give. All right, there's another one. The world says three strikes and you're out, but God, he did not. And thank God he didn't. So much of the popular relationship rules today have to do with boundaries. They have to do with red flags. They have to do with identifying all of these expectations or lines that can't be crossed. And there's something healthy about thinking about these things and considering them. But to the extent that they're being like shoved down our proverbial throats, I don't believe that God is focused on that at all, really. I mean, honestly, in the Bible, it's really even hard to determine exactly when we should not be engaging with people because he emphasizes reconciliation and community so much. And so one example of that, this example of like God being not a three strikes and you're out type of God, It comes from Romans 15, one through two, uh, where it says, we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good to build them up. No. This thing right here will change how you interact with people. And I'm specifically talking to you people who are constantly getting into arguments with people, constantly fighting, Focus on Romans 15, one through two. Meditate on it. Let it get into your spirit and like work in you, Lori. (laughs) We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Those of you who suffer from road rage, Lori's my coworker and my, I was just joking with Lori, guys. Those of you who are road ragers, I encourage you to write this on a post-it note and just slap it right on your dashboard. All right? Um, because it really gets to something that will help us to better interact with other people. A godly relationship goal is to have the strength to put up with people. The fruit of the spirit uh, is long-suffering, if you' heard of the fruits of the spirit. There's one of them that's long-suffering. That's what God wants us to be. right? He doesn't want us flying off the edge. He wants us to be long-suffering. And then in 15:2, he actually gives us like the root of the issue here, the spirit of the issue. Impatience with the weak is an indicator of self-centeredness. Yeah. But when you're focused on the other person's good and on building them up, it will help us to bear with them and to not lose it. And I'm really talking to myself and all of us. We can all think of an example where we're kind of short and we wish that we had a little more patience. And so the challenge is going to be for us to really focus on how in those moments can I take a breath, take a deep breath, and focus on this other person and not and not how i'm bothered. Okay? The world says that friends should accept you just the way you are, but God never said that. No. No, he never said that. For me this is an idolatry issue. What is our purpose here on earth? Yeah, I'm going to take it all the way there because some people mistakenly believe that comfort is the ultimate goal. And so when you have a community of friends who accept you where you can just come as you are and be loved, no questions asked, then as soon as you feel challenged, as soon as you're made uncomfortable, then those friends become snakes and they become fakes and you guys now have irreconcilable differences. That's not God's way. So here's the question as it relates to our relationship goals. The question is this, are our relationships opportunities for us to glorify God or are they opportunities for us to just glorify ourselves? It's an idolatry issue. Who are we trying to glorify? First Corinthians 10.31 says, Whether you eat or drink, and here's the point, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Now let me connect this and let it make sense here. John 15.8 says, But by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. So God has never asked uh, us to be fully accepted. No, God is challenging us to be fruitful and to grow. And even within this church where you are likely to hear and even see written on the wall, come as you are and be loved, even in this church where we want you to feel accepted no matter where you are in life, after you spend a little bit of time with us, we'd love to be able to share our testimony to you and explain to you that we are people who's had their lives changed in amazing ways because they've decided to completely commit to following Christ. And so this is a church where we want you to come as you are and be loved. But then after that, we want to partner with you through a multitude of ways to help you to grow. Come as you are and be loved, but don't stay that way. And I think I think in church, this whole idea of like, did I feel accepted or did I not? Like it, it sometimes gets exploited by the enemy. So I just want to expose this little ploy here. There's going to be a time, potentially, when you're in church and you feel like something felt like you weren't accepted. And yet I want you to pause and think, is it possible that that's just the Holy Spirit convicting you or maybe even speaking to you through someone else? I think, is it possible that, that this is an opportunity to grow and, and maybe a pressure point or an emotional point that's based on something completely different than you being judged, right? Because because that idea that uh, putting up your dukes and allowing your ego to get involved, it might be preventing you uh, for an opportunity of growth and transformation that God wants to do for you. All right? Last one. The world says BFFs, but God never said that. BFFs, best friends forever. This is something that I actually just recently learned as I took over Vineyard Youth, and started working with the teens. Um, Early on, at some point, I started drilling in on forgiveness. Um, And let me say this, too. The world says BFFs, but they don't, like, they don't keep that commitment. Because that same person who you hashtag BFF, you know, something goes wrong, two weeks later, you're scrubbing them from all of your Facebook, deleting all their photos. They don't even keep the commitment. But, but, I was able to learn this recently because I was teaching forgiveness and I was teaching forgiveness in a way that was extreme forgiveness. And the teenagers, you know, they kind of pushed back and there were some conversations. And, and it really became clear to me that there might be um, some limitations or some, some addendums to this idea of forgiveness um, that, that is actually God's way. God's way is not, um, I'm going to forgive you no matter what. And God's way is not. I'm going to continue to be abused by you, right? So God's way is forgiveness because I don't want to um, harbor this personal resentment and then be impacted in my spirit because I'm still so angry with you. God is trying to deliver us from um, this unforgiveness, but the level of like trust that was broken might be too much for us to ever reconcile. We might not be best friends forever. And I'll even take it one step further. I can forgive you and still call the police on you. Yeah. Yeah. God's way is not for us to be abused over and over again. And I'm grateful to the teens who really taught me that recently because I feel like the level, what I was teaching us forgiveness wasn't healthy. And I'll give you a verse to support it because you should need that. First Corinthians 15:33, do not be misled, bad company corrupts good character. Yeah. And so some people are just bad company, just bad company. Um, and so that's one of the things that we really have to be on guard from too. There are all these relationship rules and these relationship principles that the world might suggest to you, but honestly, um, it's most important that we get a true, honest instruction from the Bible and from God. So what is God's way? What are God's relationship goals? I'm going to summarize them by just summarizing my four points. Um, here we go. We owe everyone love. We should bear with the weak so that hopefully they are called to repentance into a place where they can glorify God in everything that they do while also protecting ourselves from being corrupted by bad company. And that's God's way. Heavenly relationship goals oftentimes are not going to be what you're getting fed uh, on your timeline and through your reels. Heavenly relationship goals, <sighs> heavenly, heavenly principles in general, uh, sometimes require you to go old school and get a book, a Bible. <laughs> yeah. So there's, there's still some stuff in this thing that's going to bless you in a mighty, mighty, mighty way. And, and I just want to encourage you in this way to be on guard against the world's way of doing things because it presents itself like true, but it's really temporary. Um, and it's really not whole. Oh, so that is my message for today. Yeah. Pretty quick. I'm going to leave you with a uh, one little challenger charge. Um, and it's this, I feel like I'm talking, I feel like I'm directing this more for the, the teens right now, but I, I'm really speaking to everyone. Um, so hopefully you get something out of it. Here's what I want to challenge you to do. You are not a slave to the algorithm, okay? So I, I get it. If you're on social media is a lot, and I know I am, and you feel like what's coming up in your feed really doesn't represent your values, I want to encourage you to fight back. I want to encourage you to use your unlike button, what is it, the thumb down Use your thumb down. And then sometimes there's like a little uh, three dots. You press that and you can say, not interested in this. Don't show me this anymore, right? Because there is a way that we can protect ourselves. We are not just victims to what's coming through on this phone. We can fight back um, and filter things in such a way, curate things in such a way that that it's not impacting us and that it aligns with our values, right? So that's going to be my little action step that is not on a connection card, right? If there's something that you keep seeing and you like, this is, why do they keep sending me this misogynist guy, right? Then don't unlike it, you know? Let's fight back um, and let's just do things God way so that we can be successful in our relationship goals, all right? That's it, y'all. If everybody could please stand up. Let me get you guys out of here. I'm going to close this out in prayer, but even after that, if you want some individualized prayer, there will be prayer teams available in the front um, who we would love to pray for you right here in the front if you feel like you're being called to get some prayer. But let me just close, up, close this out in prayer. Come Holy Spirit. God, we thank you. We thank you for loving us this way and loving us enough to even teach us how to protect ourselves online. Um, so God, we just thank you for your protection. Um, and I just pray a prayer of protection um, in our relationships, um, and in our discernment. Um, give us wisdom, God. Give us wisdom to do things your way and not the world's way. In Jesus' name, amen.